Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Perhaps no one is more vulnerable to the coronavirus than seniors who live in nursing homes. As some tragic situations in Seattle showed us early on during the American pandemic, once the virus gets a foothold in one, it can spread quickly and leave serious casualties. Here in St. Louis, there are already clusters of cases at some homes, and that's led to major anxiety for family members and staffers alike. So here to discuss where things stand is St. Louis Public Radio reporter Eli Chen. Her piece about this issue aired on our station recently, and you can also access the web version on our website. That's stlpublicradio.org. Eli Chen, welcome to our show. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So, Eli, I know you've, you've become an expert in this in the last week or so. How real is the problem in local nursing homes right now? It's uh, getting more real by the day. In fact, uh, I was getting more numbers about cases at uh, area nursing homes this morning. And uh, basically, there are two nursing homes in particular that I've been uh, focused on. And that's Frontier Health and Rehabilitation in St. Charles. Um, they reported that three of their residents have, have died due to complications of the coronavirus. Mm. Um, and they're, they're trying to confirm a fourth one as well who had died overnight, but they're not sure about, you know, what exactly um, that resident died of. And then there's also Life Care Center um, in St. Louis, and they reported that 22 of the residents tested positive. 22. Wow. So that's a big number there. Um, Do we know with Frontier Health where they've had these deaths, if they also have a large number of people who are suffering from it currently? Um, So all I know is what the what the numbers I've gotten from their spokesperson. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that they're still they're still waiting on a, a bunch of pending tests. They've gotten a few negative ones, but um, it's affected some of their staff as as well. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say about um, four four of their staff are recur- recovering at home, and they're also having to borrow uh, workers from other nursing homes, which I think is really interesting because now those facilities will be understaffed as well. Right. So what happens to these nursing homes um, when they're having staffing shortages, whether because people are ill or they're on loan somewhere else? Are they able to do the kind of work that they need to be doing? Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't have the full answer to that because I've been uh, trying to get an interview with the management at Frontier Health. Mm. And what I know is that they create a special wing for uh, the patients they are treating at the nursing home. And these, you know, these residents are isolated from the other residents, obviously. And, uh, and you know, they're trying to do what they can there. Um, and a special wing is that's something that's under the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid guidelines that, you know, nursing homes do that. Although a doctor that I spoke to for my feature that aired earlier this week said that not every nursing home has, you know, the capacity or the space to to make such changes. Okay, so that takes both a certain level of staffing as well as physical space to move people to. Is is that the issue there? Yeah, yeah. And uh, staffing is a major, you know, major part of this issue because, uh, as you you know, Sarah, uh, nursing homes don't have the greatest reputation and um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, a lot of them are understaffed and staff are often not paid very well. 
Um, and uh, the the Post Dispatch actually did a good piece a couple of years ago about how uh, nursing homes in Missouri and Illinois um, are understaffed. So, you know, mm. when when you throw in a pandemic, that that really you know um, puts them to the test, and you know how much they can clamor resources to respond. Boy, this is just such a tough situation. Um, so what are you hearing from families who have loved ones in nursing homes? Are they getting anxious? Um, I mean, I feel like I'm getting anxious just hearing you describe this. Are people freaking out right now? Uh, I talked to a few people for my story, um, not as many as I would have liked. Um, I, I spoke with uh, Michael Allen, who some people know as a, an architecture professor over at Washington University, and his aunt is at Frontier Health, and he told me that she got tested for COVID-19 and thankfully tested negative mm. um, for the virus. Um, but, you know, he's really anxious about it, and um, he told me that, you know, he had been trying to, you know, um, trying to, you know, uh, advocate for taking her out of that nursing home because Frontier has had issues in the past. Mm-hmm. And so um, he's kind of hoping that this situation would, you know, I guess, um, help his family have another conversation about, like, where his aunt should be living. Um, and then I spoke to another resident. She was relatively um, less concerned. She had more confidence that uh, the nursing, well, actually, it's a, an assistant uh, living facility, which mm-hmm. is slightly different from a nursing home. Um, she, uh, she seemed more confident in the facility's ability to do things, um, to take care of her father. Um, but the thing is, is that uh, her father has Alzheimer's disease. Mm. And I heard, I heard some, um, you know, conversations about people trying to talk to residents through the window. And frankly, um, almost everyone I talked to uh, for this story had negative things to say about window talking. Hmm. Um, in in terms of the health risks? Um, actually, it was more in terms of um, people like the, uh, like the, I guess, the woman I spoke to um, whose father's Alzheimer's because he's not capable of understanding, like, what's happening, mm. you know, and he doesn't know how to use the phone anymore. So uh, they can't really have um, the conversations that she would want to have with him. And so she sends him letters every week. And one of those letters is actually uh, posted along with my story. But, you know, with um, a lot of those residents who are experiencing, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's disease, you know, they they don't know why, like, their family is hanging out by the window, um, you know, trying to talk to them. It's confusing. Oh, uh, that makes a lot of sense. But I'm sure it's so hard. I mean, um, you know, these facilities has be- have been closed to visitors for weeks now. I imagine family members just feel like they don't even know what's going on inside. Yeah, you have to place a lot of trust in nursing homes to do, um, to care for these residents and you know it's it's um it's hard to think about if especially if you're not confident in that nursing home's ability um to care for your loved ones Mm -hmm. so i'm hearing a lot of um i'm hearing a lot of words like you know we're just trying to do the best we can we're trying to use you know facetime and other technologies to connect with residents but they're honestly having um they're probably having a hard time with all of this because 
you know, in order to prevent infection, you have to distance people, you have to distance these residents, um, not only from their families, but also from, you know, people generally, and especially their own friends, possibly at their facilities. Mm. So you'd mentioned uh, that one of the people you talked to was thinking, man, maybe they should get their loved one out of the particular nursing home they're in. What do the experts say about trying to uproot someone in the middle of this and have them move back home with you instead? Is that advised if, if people are concerned? Uh, so I spoke to uh, an activist at uh, Voice, and they're they're a group that advocates for long-term care residents. They advise that families not do that, and there there are several reasons for for not you know for not taking a resident out of their home because one there's no guarantee that that resident will be uh, you know allowed back in for whatever mm-hmm. reason. And also, are you prepared to take that family member, you know, back into your house? There, there probably was a strong reason why you put that family member into a nursing home to begin with, because you didn't have the time or the resources to help them. And you also have to consider the fact that you could also expose um that family member to the virus in other ways. Mm, That's a really good point. So these are just some tough issues, and I just feel for the family members dealing with this and the nursing home workers. What do you see as the biggest hurdle for nursing homes in the the weeks ahead? I think it's going to be staffing. Like I said, um, I I talked to a couple of doctors about this, and there is one in particular, uh, Dr. Charles Criselius at Barnes Jewish Hospital, who's been trying to develop plans for uh, for nursing homes affiliated with BJC, and he said, you know, shortages are going to be expected for facilities that have positive cases. That's mm. that's just what's going to happen, and there's not going to be many places to borrow from. Uh, so workers are just going to have to work more overtime. They're just going to have to work harder to deal with this, and. Staffing makes the biggest difference in having enough help to do everything, and they're having to do more to account for the fact that residents are, you know, a lot of residents are being put into their own rooms, probably need more assistance, and, you know, are likely to become more depressed because of all the isolation. Okay. Well, this is this is just a tough situation all around, and I think we'll continue to keep an eye on it as this develops. So St. Louis Public Radio reporter Eli Chen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. And we do want to remind people, um, if you want to hear Eli's piece on this, it's it's terrific, and it's at stlpublicradio.org. You can play the audio or also read it if, if you prefer doing it that way. Um, and in keeping with the topic of Eli's reporting, our producer Evie Hemphill called her own grandmother to check in on how she's doing. Her name is Jean. She's 98 years old and nearly blind. But she remains in good spirits so far with this crisis, even with some changes at her own care facility in Pittsburgh. Jean and Evie agreed to let us eavesdrop on part of their phone conversation earlier this week. Let's listen to what Jean had to say about how this pandemic compares to other big national challenges she's lived through, and that includes the Great Depression and World War II. I don't ever remember a time when the whole the whole world was affected as much as this we are right now. Mm-hmm. I mean... There have been times when communities 
I can remember a time when we had an infantile paralysis attack when I was growing up. And I remember quarantines then. That was infantile but, paralysis, you said? Yes. Wow. But that was only in in a particular area at the time. But I don't ever remember anything that just affected the you know, the whole country like this. No, I don't Does it have a similar feeling at all to what you went through when when you were a young adult in World War Two? I think I think the things that I remember as being the most difficult times for me growing up was during the Dust Bowl times when it was so hard for people to... See, I, I grew up in Kansas. At that time, when the weather was so dry and the people out there just didn't have anything hardly. Hmm. And we, my family, did not experience it because we were in eastern Kansas, okay. and it was not so severe there. But, but the people in western Kansas had so very little lots of times, and the dust storms were so severe. I think, I think that's what I remember as being the hardest times mm-hmm. in the life in my lifetime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, something else that's been just crossing my mind is just, um, not really crossing my mind, really on my mind a lot, is just feeling scared for you. And um, I wish I could be with you. And um, I'm still upset that I'm not going to get to see you in a few weeks when I was planning to be coming through. Um, But I also want you to be safe. And I think part of me is just wishing there could have been a way to anticipate this and bring you to you know to St. Louis or or have see if dad could bring you to Wyoming (laughs) well I'd love I'd love to have you here but it's wonderful that we could talk over the phone (laughs) that's a great point um well what do you find yourself thinking about right now Well, I guess, Evie, I'm just so thankful to be here where at this point I can't really do any, do much for myself. I have to depend on other people to take care of me. And I'm just so thankful that that we have the home here and that there are people who come in every day and take care of us. In fact... Last night, the lady who came in to give me the medicine that I take every day, she said that she was working a double shift, which meant that she was working 16 hours. Mm. And I just thought, people are working hard these days to take care of us and to serve us, and I really appreciate that. And... Really, uh, you know, I'm not experiencing any difficulties at all, and I think how, how much this 
is changing lives for changing people's lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just have so much to be thankful for, and I just pray for people who are having to work hard, and, and uh, so many people are just not working at this point. Yeah, which is its own awful challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And I think of the little ones that are having to stay inside. And then, then I talked to, to Johanna the other day, and she said she was, no, your, your mother. Your mother was giving Johanna's children a piano <laughs> lesson. Yeah. By, a virtual piano lesson? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We live in an amazing world. Yeah. To think how life has changed. I grew up in back when we could hardly hear on the telephone. I can remember when my folks used the telephone, and if they really needed to make a call that was an important call, they would go into town and talk from the central office because the connection on the farm was so poor that often they couldn't hear the other person. Wow. It's just to think that I've lived through all that, to think what people can do today, it's just unbelievable. And that was 98-year-old Jean Hemphill talking with her granddaughter Evie, who's one of our producers, from a nursing home in Pittsburgh. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.